A Day of Faces by Simon K. Jones Read by Jen Coleman Chapter 18 Divergent Evolution Noun The process by which a species evolves into two or more descendant or different forms. The doorbell was right there. All I had to do was press the button, and she'd answer the door. My dad had already gone out to work. I wondered where Cal was, and whether he'd find me here. We'd gone to the library, all the way to the back of the building where newspaper cuttings were kept. It was all very old school. They even had one of those big microfilm devices, which was basically the world's most disappointing slot machine. Even after we'd realised we weren't being watched or tracked, the sense of tension never went away. There was still something evidently wrong. Everything was archived by subject and date. I flicked back a couple of weeks to when we'd gone into the aviary, but there was nothing. No reports at all. Going back another few weeks, I finally found a relevant report. PAW terrorist shot dead outside government building. The manhunt for the dangerous terrorist, known only by his face and the alias Bomber One, was killed by police marksmen yesterday evening outside the Avery compound. Wanted for several terrorist incidents and the recent murder of Perlin resident Caseline Rodata. Yeah, I didn't really read much beyond that, right? Cal didn't tend to do surprise. He did righteous and angry and inspirational but not outright surprise. I looked away from the article to find him staring, open-mouthed at the words on the projected screen. You killed me, I said, quietly and a little pathetically. No, I didn't, he said. We sounded like a kid's pantomime. I pointed at the article while keeping my eyes on him. Then what the hell? You're not the only one that's apparently dead he pointed out, covering his mouth with one hand. Go back. Find what happened with the... the murder. I manipulated the clunky controls, searching now by the tag of my own name, and found the related article. Teenage girl stabbed to death in Perlin suburb. 19-year-old student Caseline Rodata was murdered on Friday night by unknown assailant. Her body was only discovered by her parents in a garden shed over 24 hours after police estimate she was killed. Early reports suggest a tusked attacker, with wounds indicative of You killed me, I repeated. Cal said nothing. That night, when I first discovered you in the shed, you just killed me. He walked away from the microfilm machine and paced up and down on the old patterned brown carpet. We don't know that, he said. We have no idea what actually happened. This could all be lies. And if it isn't? My mind darted back to that first encounter, tiptoeing across the garden, smelling blood in the air, peeking my head into the shed and seeing Cal sprawled there with his wings bent and stained red. When you first saw me, when I came into the shed, what was your first thought? I was barely conscious. You didn't seem dangerous, though. And if I had seemed dangerous, then what? I thought of all those whimsical ideas that had run through my head about how to deal with the stranger in the shed, all those abandoned or ignored paths. 
Cal stopped pacing and shrugged. Then I'd have defended myself. Maybe. He pointed at the display. I don't know, because that's not me. This is you. This is exactly you, two months ago. He came closer and pressed his finger on the headline. But I didn't do this. Whatever this is, whatever happened here, it isn't what I chose to do. I shook my head and slid down, slumping against the machine and gripping my knees. You don't get it, I said. You had the potential to do this. You still do. That's the kind of person you are. Cal flicked a switch and turned the machine off as an elderly couple walked past. At least we know why they're not looking for either of us, he offered. Peeling myself to my feet, eyes closed, I took a deep breath. I need some air, I said. Me too. Alone. I'd walked the length of the library and out of the doors without looking back to see if he was following me. Then I'd crossed the street to the stop and jumped on the waiting tram. The doors closed and it pulled away, and I didn't even glance out of the window. At that particular moment, I was done. He could go to hell. Switching trams a couple of stops down the line, I'd finally wound up back on my old street. On the way, I'd had a lot of time to think. As far as my parents were concerned, I was dead. Murdered. If I'd been killed that night... Cal would never have camped out in the shed. I'd never have got into an argument with my dad a month later, and he'd never have been killed in a stupid, accidental fight with Cal. Marv would never have got involved, or even seen me again. Without our help, Cal's attack on the Avery didn't even get him in the front door. Everything changed. It seemed kind of better. Marv was happily getting on at home. All those soldiers in the Avery didn't get murdered. My dad lived, though I'm sure he stayed being an asshole. It was all good, except for the whole being dead part. But here I was, still alive. I could walk back in that front door and give my mother her daughter back. Go back to how it was. Maybe have it better. All that ran through my head on the tram ride. Once I descended the steps onto the road, the doubts started to creep in. Each step towards the front door of my house introduced a new fear. Marv was still here, at home, looking after his family. But the Marv I knew was alone on a desert world, helpless. One didn't cancel out the other. Would my parents ever be able to lose a daughter, then get her back? And if I was even able to explain what had happened... Would they think of me as their daughter, or as some kind of imposter? My finger hovered over the doorbell, my feet having brought me to the threshold. This is the wrong way, Cal's voice said. He was stood behind me. She deserves to know. Not until we know what's really happening. I don't care what's happening, I said. My eyes were leaking. My hand dropped to my side and I turned around. There was nobody there. Great. Now I was hearing voices. I thought it was best to keep a low profile, Cal said. As he spoke, I sensed a ripple in the air next to me. My tongue flicked out and I could taste him on the wind. What do we do now? Come with me, he said. 
I felt him grip my hand and I let him guide me back down the path and onto the road. I looked over my shoulder at the pretty little house in the pretty little street. He led me into a narrow alleyway between two houses, which led through to their back gardens. Then he stopped. One moment, he said. The air rippled and then he was simply there, having shifted from his spectre form back to his new science fiction speciality. As he completed the change, his eyes ignited with the blue fire. We're leaving? Cal reached out and took hold of me, then concentrated. There's somewhere I haven't shown you, he said. Then the world parted and we fell into the abyss, emerging not into the desert or even the place with the fake Avery, but somewhere wholly unfamiliar and unfriendly. There was no sky or discernible ground, only an expanse of inky nothingness. Soft, translucent strands moved gracefully through the enormous space, stretching away into the far distance where my eyes couldn't make them out. We stood upon one such strand, or at least felt anchored to it in some manner. Everything felt paused, and I realised with a start that I wasn't breathing. My clothes and hair were rigid, as if frozen, unless I actively pushed or pulled at them. Cal gripped my hand firmly. I couldn't speak because there was no air in my lungs. A thought took form in my head. What is this place? It's where I come between jumps. Usually only for a moment. It took me a while to recognise it even existed, and that I could linger here. I wasn't even sure I could bring you here. Cal's reply came to me as an abstract notion, rather than via speech. What am I looking at? Destinations. We're linked to Locke, or what we thought was Locke. Over there you can see the desert world. These are all running in parallel. Most of these paths are too distant, and I don't know how to get to them. It's like you've got the keys to the universe. Maybe. I can only open a handful of doors. Get me out of here. And then we were back on the alleyway. Blue embers drifting down the walls. I took in great lungfuls of air, even though I hadn't felt short of breath in that place. I was just grateful to be back in a reality I recognised. Mostly recognised. I don't really understand it, Cal was saying. But something different happened here. I think that split it off from the lock we know. Maybe every decision somebody makes creates a new universe. But then we'd never be able to get home, I said hoping I got the wrong end of the stick. He shook his head. It's not as simple as that. There are an infinite number of those paths out there, but I can't get to any of them. There's just a handful within reach. I think those are the ones relevant to us. So you can get us home? To our real home? I think so, he said. I just need more practice. White clouds puffed by in the sky and a bird sat on the edge of a gutter, squawking idly at the world. I suppose we need to go back, don't we? I think we do. We took the tram back to the Avery Gardens, sitting in silence. Then we stood beneath the concealing tree. I hefted the medical supplies, took one last breath of wet air, then held on tight as Cal sliced the world in two. Thanks for listening. Follow us on SoundCloud or subscribe using iTunes or your favourite podcast app 
to make sure you don't miss the next chapter. You can find me on Twitter at Tarnamus or at simonkjones.com. You can help support the creation of stories like this on Patreon at patreon.com forward slash Simon K. Jones.